My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Folklore just is that like it's a perfect album consequence podcast network welcome to going there the crossroads where music and mental health meet this season of Going There is brought to you by AbV, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbV's scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbV's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abv.com or follow at AbV on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Today we are kicking off season four of Going There by talking with musician and singer-songwriter Jordan Edward Benjamin, better known as Grandson. You may know Grandson from his breakout hit song Blood Water, which he performed on Late Night with Seth Meyers in 2018. Then in 2020, Grandson released his debut album, Death of an Optimist. One review of the album said, quote, he's doing his own thing and doing it with a style, vulnerability, and fire that deserves all the eyes, ears, and attention that it can garner. And Grandson is about to release his new album on May 5th called I Love You, I'm Trying, and starting an international tour May 12th. Check out Grandson's music, tour dates, and merchandise at grandsonmusic.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And apropos of Grandson's first album, one issue that can be critical to our mental health journey is how we understand and implement the concept of optimism in our lives. Now, optimism can potentially have both a helpful and harmful effect on our emotional well-being. Optimism can be helpful if we believe that we can have the lives that we want and feel the way that we want to feel. And so if we struggle with an issue such as depression that is emotionally painful and interferes with our achieving our life goals, our belief that we can one day feel better and have the life we want can be a powerful tool to help motivate us to cope with our depression. And if we don't have that optimism that things can get better, our current depression may feel more permanent and we may succumb to hopelessness and think of ways to escape such as substance abuse or suicide. On the other hand, optimism can be harmful if we use it to ignore, avoid, or suppress difficult or painful experiences. We may become so committed to being positive and optimistic that we ignore our suffering and don't do the work that we need to manage our depression and build the life that we want. Also, if our optimism is based on a specific expectation in our life, we may be disappointed when we either don't meet our expectation or don't feel as good as we'd hoped when we do achieve our goals. And so in our conversation, Grandson and I talk about his mental health journey, including his struggle with suicidal thoughts and how he understands optimism as a form of coping. As a warning, in case this topic is triggering for you, we will be discussing suicidality as part of our conversation. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts and would like to speak with someone confidentially, please dial the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. 
In our discussion, Grandson also makes reference to a concept called the hedonic treadmill, which is the theory that we tend to return to a relatively stable level of happiness regardless of our life circumstances. And Grandson talks about how he integrates this concept into his approach to optimism, particularly tempering expectations of how positive life events may impact our mental health so we don't become too disappointed if we struggle even when we achieve our goals. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what grandson has to say. Hey, Jordan, welcome to Going There. Let's go there, my friend. How are you? I am doing well. We are going to go there right now. So Death of an Optimist, I loved that title because... From my perspective, optimism is something that can be either very helpful or incredibly harmful to one's health and well-being. It can be helpful as a concept of, hey, things can always get better, but it can be incredibly harmful if it's used as a way of asking people to push past difficult things that are happening to them and pretend that they're not happening for some you know, sort of optimistic ideal. And I, the things that I've read in terms of what you've said and the lyrics, I feel like this would be a good place to start. And so where does the death of an optimist concept come from with you? And what do you think about that idea of the, the pros and cons of optimism? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that word ideal is really, really prevalent in modern interpretations of optimism toxic positivity and attempting to frame and compress positive mental health into these quick sound bites and this idealism that optimism can unfortunately get tangled up with where ultimately being able to find a positive outlook in spite of the many real challenges you face is something that we can all strive for and something that when I talk to young people, a lot of them are seeking when they come to my concerts. How do I find optimism? How do I find motivation to look for a future in a time that feels exceedingly cynical, depressing, where there are so many headlines that can overwhelm young people and so many easy outs to explore as far as ways to kind of numb yourself to those realities. But I find that when optimism is kind of this blanket term, it it is entirely unsustainable. It's like building and trying to build a fire with nothing but kindling. It just flames out. You need to support optimism with discipline and you need to push yourself to build a framework of positive habits of a backbone of support but when you choose to only look at the world through the lens of i'm the one that's figured it out it's all going to be okay you're setting yourself up for inevitable disappointment my debut album was called death of an optimist i wrote it during the pandemic I was a couple years into my career, which has been a career that has been built on alchemizing and transforming a lot of 
pain and anger of being a young person growing up in Trump's America and trying to channel some of the outrage and some of the motivation that you feel as a young person that we can be the change we want to see. And this album explored the feeling of getting older and struggling with the reality that some things aren't going to happen on the timeline that you hope for. When you're a teenager and you're coming into yourself, the world can feel like a big, scary place. At the end of your teens, the beginning of your 20s, you're all of a sudden confronted with all of this independence and this sense of identity that is incredibly empowering and motivating. And then somewhere in your mid-20s, there's this shift of responsibility and maturity. And where and how do you put that optimism that you've had? How does that fit into the realities of, of growing up? I think that I do conclude that optimism is there to be found and it's important, but it needs to be met with a certain amount of perspective, honesty, and discipline. Because if you get too high on your own supply, I've seen so many people with addictive personalities get addicted to finding that positive spin. And a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing when really sometimes the first step towards long-lasting and sustainable positive change is the acceptance that some stuff is messed up in your life that you got to deal with. That to me is the key because if I'm going to be invited into a world where I think my future is good and I can work for that, you're talking about these habits. One of the habits that I feel like people need is there's got to be an engine for looking at problems. And there's a, there's a paradox there because in order to really feel comfortable moving ahead, you have to feel like you can stop and go as deep as you need to in order to address whatever's happening. And sometimes those things don't go together emotionally. They, they can if you have faith in both. And that's when I think a person's really at their, at their optimal functioning is when I can go as deep into problems as I need to, to understand them, to feel heard, to feel validated, and then I can move forward. If you don't have one of those, you can't do it. And so I'm wondering for you, has there ever been something where you felt like, God, I don't know if I can really go as deep into this because I'm going to lose that optimism. Maybe, maybe I'm never going to come up from this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this new album that I'm that I'm releasing, it's called I Love You, I'm Trying. And in it, I'm finally removing myself as a commentator or narrator of this generational angst and, and diving in on a personal level, exploring my family history of, of, of living in denial of some of the things that that are holding us back of my own relationship to temptation and vice and even exploring suicidal ideation that I've dealt with for really as long as I can remember. And I think a lot of that is super uncomfortable and comes with the risk of alienating the people close to you. It is the reality of, of living with and alongside a songwriter is that 
the the concepts of consent around inspiration. So for me to write these songs with these interpersonal themes that might make the people that I'm living with uncomfortable is a thing that has really held me back from writing such personal songs for so long. And why a lot of my songs have, it's I've found it easier to tackle themes of gun violence in America than of love and loss and heartbreak because I can keep those things at an arm's distance. So to answer your question, absolutely, there have been times where I have had to dig deep and question whether we're going to make it out of this part. And often that is where you get the most meaningful realizations from, or from these uncomfortable places where you have to break down some of the calluses, some of the muscle memory that guards some of the most vulnerable parts of yourself. I think it's not only necessary as a songwriter, but as a human. And the funniest part about about any of of these topics that we're going to discuss today when it comes to mental health is that they're constantly moving and changing. And there have been things I've been uncomfortable dealing with five years ago that I can now more safely explore. And then things from back then I was comfortable exploring that, that I no longer feel as, as reflexive um, being able to access. And there are ways in which you can take care of yourself from both a, a, a holistic level, as well as people that get described with certain antidepressants or, or SSRIs that, that no longer become effective over time. And it's because we are constantly changing and evolving and how we relate to the world around us and to ourselves needs to be able to evolve and change with, with that time. Do you feel comfortable talking about when suicidal ideation was more prominent because this concept of the hopelessness that often goes into that is usually not usually but but some maybe I should say sometimes can be when people are tackling this very paradox it's like I want to go deeply into something but I'm afraid that if I go too deep I'm going to become hopeless and get caught up and whether it's hurt myself or take my own life and so then people avoid whatever it is that they're they're worried about at least for as long as they can and it, do you feel comfortable talking about, you know, when you were struggling with that? Yeah, I do. I I think that it was for a long time something that I thought was quite normal. And that stems from not talking about it, it being your mental health, it being for me a complete inability to to forecast into my personal future. When I was a teenager, the idea of being an adult, the idea of being a father someday, the idea of of growing up felt inconceivable. And that was something that I thought was relatable to the people around me. And it was something that never really went away. Um, now I'm turning 30 this year and I'm and I'm growing up and becoming the very guy that me as a 16 year old getting high in my basement, never really could imagine. I think a lot of that only in talking about it, I realized how comforting it was when, when change and growing up felt really hard. It was this comforting thought that, that it was a choice that I didn't have to make as far as 
growing up as far as your generation not being cool anymore, as far as the good days being behind you. One thing that's always been really scary is the idea that when you're a kid, especially me as a youngest sibling, you always are excited to get to the next chapter in middle school and your older siblings are in high school or going to college or there's always the next chapter to look forward to. And if you're lucky, you can continue to find really positive, exciting things about the next chapter for your whole life. But at a certain point, certain doors are closing as other doors are opening. And that's really true the whole time, but you don't really recognize it. There are certain freedoms of, of being a kid that you can't possibly comprehend until they're no longer accessible to you. And I think that there's something really scary about that, about growing up. And for me, there was something comforting about knowing that I didn't have to grow up. I, that there was this way that you can exist frozen in time the way that so many musicians that I idolized, so many public figures, their photos remain the same age. They, they look the same. They never have to deal with the effects of gravity because they're somehow weightless. And there's something that we, we canonize and we idolize about those figures forever 27 or whatever it is. And I also think now more than ever, there's this... Catch-22, where in normalizing our differences, in being able to have these conversations around mental health, we are destigmatizing. But we are also platforming the ways in which mental health episodes make us unique, make us an individual. And as a young person being inundated online with the celebration of overcoming those challenges. I think at a subconscious level, we also seek to find them in ourselves because it sucks to be depressed. It might suck even more to not be an individual, but it's not worth it. it is a, it's a dead end to continuously lean on self-harm and harmful thoughts about yourself as a way to feel alive, as a way to feel like you have a way out, because there's just no way out when you're dead. That's not really an option. And the more that you allow it to be an option, the less you are inviting all of the incredible possibilities that come from growing up. So many of the things that, that held me back, so many of the social, interpersonal dynamics that overwhelmed me at the time do not exist anymore. Those kids I grew up with, I don't check on them anymore. That me that I was, I don't check on anymore. I'm in a healthy relationship. I have an incredible support network of people I know and of fans that I've, I've connected with over the years across the world. I'm way, way, way better off now than I've ever been. And that's just because I didn't indulge in some of those those themes and they still are with me but i'm i'm really trying to put that to bed and find some other way to deal with how terrifying it is 
for some of those doors to close in my life and to grow up. I think that one of the things that you're talking about, and this gets back to some degree with the, the double-edged sword of optimism, is that it can be so comforting and organizing and, and motivating to see a future that you can achieve. I mean, that, that can be such a, you know, people spend their time thinking, oh, you know, when I get high school, I want to get into a certain college, or I want to achieve this goal, or I want to have this kind of a relationship. And in some ways that can be wonderful because it helps you understand who you are and, and, and who you're trying to be. And if you want to use the term actualizing, you know, how do you actualize? The problem is, is that that future oriented thought is great if it's used as a, as a kind of determination, if you will, I like that even better than motivation, but it's problematic if it's an expectation. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I enunciated those properly. So determination as opposed to expectation. So in other words, if you say like, I really want to be a professional musician, this is something that's going to organize me. That's going to push me. I'm going to practice. I mean, that that's fantastic. But then if you either don't get there or when you get there, it's not what you thought. And you think, well, I violated the expectation that I set. Now we have a problem. And that's where I think a lot of hopelessness can can get developed because people don't want to give up their dreams. They don't want to give up their, their sense of who they can be, but there's something terrifying about that not coming true. I think that that's a really good point. And I also think that nowadays there is this onslaught of pressure on a young person to have that figured out. And every single video that you scroll through online is is somebody else's highlight reel including their lowlights is also curated and there is this sense when i talk to people of all ages that everyone around them has it figured out because we've never been consumed by choice in this way. There's so many versions of who to be out there that my grandparents just, they didn't have. We can travel anywhere. We can pursue all these different forms of life, but we shield ourselves and everyone else from the downsides of, of that choice. And I think that if you can even manage to commit to an identity in the way, for example, I did with music, where it was like, I'm this kid growing up in Toronto, Canada. I have no idea where to go or what's going to make me happy or what to do in college or what to do after. And music is a thing that I'm good at and that people like when I do and that I like doing. So that's what I'm going to do and be. And then, like you said, inevitably, there will be parts of that that you can't anticipate, you can't plan for, and that aren't so cool when you put a song out and no one listens to it, or when you're running out of money or whatever it is, it's not meeting that TikTok video that in initially inspired that, that thing that you're chasing. And, and where do you put that? And what do you do with it? And I think that a lot of people, when they say, well, what I want to be is this, ultimately, what you want to be is happy, what you want to be is fulfilled. And you think that being a musician might get you there. 
So when you're saying what I want to be is a musician, you're saying what I want to be is happy. But being a musician is going to come with parts that are really fun and parts that really aren't. And I don't think that there's quite that much honesty about what you're signing up for. And even if you can intellectualize it and articulate, I know it's going to be hard. This is what I want. There's so little room for a multifaceted, honest reflection and depiction of what it's going to be like. We just can't help but favor those narratives that are a lot more one-dimensional. And me in my own career, I feel, have suffered from from not being able to put myself in a box. Very early on, I could feel that my anger and frustration artistically, um, especially when channeled politically, was being set up to be an exciting thing. Here's a new Rage Against the Machine for the 21st century. But quite early on, I knew I wanted to be so many different things. And that that was going to inevitably pigeonhole me and make me a one-dimensional version of myself online. And so I didn't want to be it. And inevitably, that has diluted people's expectation when I put out a new song, they don't know what it's going to sound like or what it's going to be about. And in some ways, that can hold you back. But at least it's honest. At least fans of mine can see a three-dimensional artist who is going through heartbreak and love and, and who is optimistic and then pessimistic on another day. But there's so many incentives to be one-dimensional online. And so as a young person who's a fan of all these different musicians or, or pieces of pop culture, you just, you can't, you can't possibly know what anything is going to be like until you're doing it. And it just sets you up for disappointment. Yeah. And I think that one of the things you talked about is the concept of happiness. And I think the idea of what it is to be happy, similar to optimism. I mean, I can, depending on your definition of happy or blissful or even peaceful, I mean, I could, I could do that real quickly for you. I could remove all expectations. I could remove all sense of responsibility and I, I could jack you up with, with some different kinds of drugs and you'll be happy and, and peaceful as a motherfucker. But the question is, is that, is that what you're going for? And I feel as though when people are going for whatever it is that they're trying to do in their life, I don't know that they think through always well, what is the, what is the emotion, you know, again, being satisfied and fulfilled and being quote unquote happy, or at least blissful or in a positive mood, depending on your definition are not necessarily compatible. I mean, most people who are professional musicians will talk about the, the difficulty and at times the, the tedium, I mean, it just, even just to be practice as a musician, no matter how much you love it, there's a repetition there. There's a years and years of practice. There's traveling to shows for not making money. I mean, there's a million things that, that you know of and a lot of people who have been on the show have talked about. And so I think that's one of the things too, is when we're talking about expectation is to say, listen, go for happiness or peace or bliss, but conceptually put it all together. Like, are you leading a life that's about peace if you're going for your dreams? Not, not really, quite frankly. And that can also be confusing. I know. And what if I could tell you that if I could go back to younger me and tell, tell myself or tell a young person looking like you'll get whatever it is, you'll get it. Shows in arenas, 
you'll get festival sets where there are people packed to the horizon line. You'll get a, a platinum record and, and you'll travel the world and, and you'll feel happy and you'll feel fulfilled. But what if I told you it was only for a moment? Like all of that hard work, all of that determination and sacrifice is going to lead to that happiness. But that happiness is, is a moment. It, it is, in my experience, has been a collection of moments. And there have been moments on stage where I'm up there and I go, fuck, man, this is it. This is really something. But then I still have a lobby call at 4.30 a.m. the next day. I still have relationships at home that I'm neglecting to be in that moment. And that wherever you go, as my father says, wherever you go, there you are. You're going to bring all of that shit with you wherever it is that you go. All of that dissatisfaction that it took for me to expect more from life is coming with me. Like, I can't check it at the door. I woke up one day and said, this version of living is not enough. There is something out there for me to go get. And so I'm going to move to Los Angeles and leave behind my friends and family and make this new identity and find this pseudonym. And I'm going to, I'm going to reinvent myself around a goal and I'm going to go get it. But that motivating force, there's no amount of success out there that's going to make me able to access that and let it go. I'll never be able to, to go, all right, you've done it. It's time to leave that pressure behind it's coming with me and any career if you want to talk music if you want to talk the music business it all it's all it's it's a mountain it goes up and it comes back down and i've i've never met anyone at any level of success that doesn't feel that way and so you'll be happy it'll be for these really high moments and you're gonna have to be able to bottle that up and constantly return to it and remind yourself of it. And is that worth it? Like, maybe, I don't know. Well, the thing that that's so interesting about it to me is when a baseball player is hitting 300, people who follow baseball realize, oh my God, that's, that's amazing. Right. But we don't have handles on those percentages in a lot of other areas of your life. So for example, what you're talking about, let's say that was three out of 10 times, three out of 10 moments that you have, you're going to feel that, but the other seven are going to be horrible. And so, I mean, what is it when people say I left it all on the stage, right? It's like, okay, that's a, that's an amazing performer. I want to see that performer. I want to see the person who leaves it all on the stage. But what does that mean? That means in, by definition, you are empty at the end of that. You're spent, you're, you're depleted. So if you don't realize, hey, that's the other seven out of 10, but I'm still doing, I'm still hitting 300 here, then you're going to misinterpret the data. And I think that that's what you're talking about is that somehow there's like a, a 10 out of 10 or a nine out of 10 that we're expecting. And people who are, who are killing it in a, in a positive way and are feeling all, as the kids say, all feeling all the feels, right? But they don't realize that that's, the way it was meant to be that you're doing, you're doing okay. And then they start judging themselves for, well, how come I'm not happy all the time? 
How come I'm not motivated all the time? How come I'm not as into this album as I was the the previous ones? And that goes down a rabbit hole where eventually that hopelessness comes in because you, you can't predict anymore. And the thing is, is that you shouldn't be predicting. That's the thing that, that and if people can kind of get to that, I think it'll just make it a lot easier because I do think you're right. I think people are assuming, hey, this is, happiness means happiness all the time. And I've never met anybody like that. I'm certainly not like that. Yeah, it's just not out there. You're just not gonna, you're not gonna raise the floor. There's this concept of a hedonic treadmill of a certain hedonism, a certain happiness index that each of us can expect our lives to kind of average out to on a scale of one to 10. And some people that struggle with their mental health have it lower, or some people are prone to greater spikes in that index. But overall, you have some good days and bad days, and it levels out. And people have been studying this thing for a long time. And it's something I've been really, really interested in. And it reflects in my work that people that that come into these windfalls of success, whether it's winning some sort of lottery or and people that come into windfalls of failure, people who unexpectedly lose somebody lose lose a limb, like like unexpected catastrophe, you zoom out from enough time and enough perspective on any sort of these grand changes in your life. And your overall happiness changes a lot less than you think it would. People that have unexpected disasters end up finding perspective even in those unimaginable scenarios and and vice versa. People that have this incredible rush of success aren't filled up the way they thought they would be. And so it's not out there that's going to raise that floor. It's it, it comes from going within yourself and finding ways to really celebrate those wins, few and far between as they may be. It comes from community and feeling seen and understood by the people around you. It comes from doing things that you love doing and and trying to reduce or eliminate some of the worst stressors of your life. And not a whole lot of that has to do with what what's what's out there for you to go achieve or be. Now let me let me build on that. It's a little bit of a shift in gears, but one of the things that we like to ask people who come on the show is, you know, we're here, we're we're talking music and mental health, right? And your being willing to step up and talk about these things is talking about earlier, like the reduction of stigma and how important that is for people to, to normalize their own experience, you know, because that's where so many problems happen with mental health is that people assume, Hey, I'm the only person in the world who's depressed or anxious or hopeless or have suicidal ideation. But there, for a lot of people, music is the first place where they experience emotion, where they express emotion, where they process it. And were there any artists or songs for you that were kind of like, this is, this is really where I go either in the past or now, or, you know, for my mental health, or this is where I learned about something about myself from a mental health. Mm. 
Yeah, totally. And a lot of it was hip hop, Suicidal Thoughts by Notorious B.I.G., by Biggie Smalls, an incredible song written through the perspective of somebody at their wits end on a conversation with their friend on the phone. That, that was a song that when I was young really touched me. In the End by Linkin Park, a beautiful encapsulation of nihilism. And yeah, I, I could think of a lot more. And then, of course, on the on the flip side, there's Let It Be. And there's there's the optimism that I would return to and, and, and looking to feel uplifted. But... Man, I always loved writing sad songs. Yeah, well, when I'm ha- when I'm in a good mood, I'm way too busy being in it to go sit at my guitar. So it's definitely always been comforting for me in in dark moments to to turn to that expression. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Congratulations on all your success. And again, I, I really appreciate you stepping up and talking about these issues. I think that people who are fans or are just, they're going to listen to you more and you don't have to do this stuff for your career. But so appreciate you kind of stepping up and taking a risk and talking about these things. It's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you. Vice versa. Thank you for giving us a space to do it as musicians, artists, performers, and to anybody listening who's, who's navigating these things and turning to podcasts or wherever you're looking for, for answers. I hope, I hope you find them and it's a crazy time out there. So be kind to yourself above all else. Thanks so much. So there it is. Jordan Edward Benjamin, better known as grandson, talking about his struggle with suicidality and how he understands optimism as part of his mental health journey. Now there's so much to take away from the conversation with grandson, but one thing I wanted to highlight was his discussion of suicidal thoughts. One of the most difficult things that we can face in our mental health journey is the thought that we are in so much emotional pain that ending our life seems like a good option. If we try to ignore that voice in the spirit of being optimistic and try to avoid suicidal thoughts, those thoughts may grow louder and louder to the point where it dominates our thinking. Because if there is something wrong, we need to understand it, not ignore it. So if we are having suicidal thoughts, we need to take those thoughts seriously. We need to seek out help, whether a friend, family member, hotline, or mental health care professional. We need to be compassionate to ourselves and understand why we are feeling so badly and develop alternative strategies to suicidal thoughts. But what Grandson was also saying, drawing from his own experience with suicidal thoughts, is that we have to be careful that while we take those suicidal thoughts seriously and cope with them compassionately, We must also recognize that relying on suicidal thoughts as a way of coping can be very dangerous. It becomes an escape fantasy that can be very powerful and seductive, and it will often interfere with our focusing on how to develop healthy coping strategies that can improve our mental health and our lives both now and in the future. And so we must constantly find the balance of being willing to compassionately confront the painful and scary thoughts of suicide while also trying to focus on how to cope with our mental health issues now and in the future to build the life we want. So I want to thank Grandson for this wonderful conversation. This season of Going There is brought to you by Ab V, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbbVie scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. 
To learn more about AbbVie's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abbvie.com or follow at AbbVie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And I, of course, want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please dial the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swifty. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Of course, just is that like it's a perfect album